Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The volume. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight here at The Volume. Happy Wednesday, everybody. We are live on AMP. Don't forget, if you're watching on YouTube, or on the podcast feeds that AMP is the very first place that you guys can get these shows. We've been repping out our series previews. There's three of them right now on the feed. We hit Warriors, Kings, Cavs, Knicks, and Lakers, Grizzlies so far. Uh, We'll have at least three more coming this week. The one that might be tough is the 8-1 matchups, uh, just depending on how some scheduling stuff works out. Um, But we are going to go big picture today. And talk about my picks going into this postseason run in the grand scheme of things. Not just for the first round, but as we head into the deeper parts of the Western Conference and Eastern Conference playoffs and the NBA Finals. Then we're also going to get into some stuff about expected upsets and some of the ramifications for teams that might not quite live up uh, to what their expectations are in this postseason run. And as is usually the case, I can think of no one better than Mr. Carson, one of our favorites, a fan favorite to join the show. Carson, how you doing, man? I am great, Jason. We have finally made it. Yesterday, I don't care what anybody says about the quality of the game. That was playoff basketball, playoff intensity, playoff stakes, and there is just nothing like that in the world to me. So I cannot wait for two full months. of it. Yeah. You know, what's so funny too, is like, I saw a lot of people complaining about the ugliness of the basketball. And it's like, that's not just a playoff game. That's also a monumentally important single game sample of a playoff game, right? Like for instance, that might be a game. The Lakers punt in a playoff series. Like you're down 15 Mm -hmm. in the third Mm -hmm. quarter or whatever. You might just be like, we don't have it tonight. We'll get them in game two, right? Like they played like absolute crazy to get back into that game because there was so much at stake, especially for an older team to get that Friday off. Cause now they have four full days off before their matchup on Sunday. It was so vital important um and and again like when it's like game seven of the nba finals in 2016 ended 93 to 89 like they are they're going to be ugly when there's a lot at stake and i'm not going to be overly judgmental Uh, so many people were like these are two bad teams fighting out last night i thought it was actually two pretty damn good teams fighting it out 
I, uh, I agree. I had like a complete opposite take from the majority of people on that game. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a lot of fun, and I thought in some ways it showed what the Lakers are capable of. And Minnesota. So you mentioned the – and Minnesota. I mean, very strong 40 minutes from mm-hmm. them. It was kind of just that closing <laughs> stretch. So you mentioned that we're going to take a big picture here, and we'll start out in the West where – A lot of people have viewed this as a very open conference throughout the year. You've had the Warriors as the defending champs, but struggling in terms of consistency. The Nuggets always at the top of the conference, but some questions about how it translates to the playoff stage. Then you have like the Suns and Lakers emerging with their late season acquisitions, changing their rosters. So out of that entire conference, who do you think is actually going to be the last one standing here making it to the finals, Jason? So I was so on the fence about this. Even coming into this morning when I sat down with my notes, um, mm. I was on the fence completely between the Lakers, the Warriors, and the Suns. And again, like this is not mm. it, to me. It, it has to do with a, an extremely flawed field. Um, I think with the Nuggets in particular, they were in a situation where they could not let their foot off the gas to end the season because because of their defensive shortcomings, it was so vitally important, in my opinion, for them to be locked in heading into uh, the uh, the playoffs. Now, they might tighten some things up in the first round. And, you know, here's the thing with these predictions. Like, we're doing the best we can to make these guesses, but the reality is, is like, chances are both of us will feel very differently two weeks from now and then feel very differently mm-hmm. again two weeks from then. That doesn't, that's just reacting to new information. That's just being smart. That's the, There's no point in being stubborn and going down with the ship of your pick. And then at the end of the day, these are just predictions and the game of basketball is incredibly unpredictable. That's why we love watching it so much. And so at the end of the day, we could be, you know, I could pick all eight first round series is wrong or I could, I could pick them all right. Like who, who the hell knows what's going to happen. But Denver, I think, I think they needed to be locked in on the details defensively to be ready to make this run. And instead they just completely regressed. Um, I, I Sacramento, obviously, I mean, they're a huge underdog against the Warriors that they're, they're an unserious team. Yeah. Um, the Clippers without Paul George, I don't think have any real chance with the Grizzlies. I was, I did this series preview for the Lakers last night and, um, I was digging into the numbers and they've been pretty much a mediocre team beating up on an easy schedule post deadline. Um, and the Lakers are also beating up on a bad schedule post deadline, but they've been way more impressive in doing so. Very good defensively, very good rebounding, all, all these different, a lot of hallmarks that look well. And LeBron James was out for most of that. So you knew there was an additional ceiling there. Um, mm-hmm. so, but I, I don't take Memphis as a serious title contender. And I keep coming down to the Lakers, the Suns, and the Warriors. And it's all because of their potential ceiling, right? With the Lakers, it's the idea of this elite defense with LeBron James and Anthony Davis playing at the top of their games. With the Suns, it's just this kind of like a better version of the Brooklyn Nets in 2021, just like two otherworldly pull-up jump shooters spamming high pick and roll all game, but with a better center that they're playing with and some additional playmaking in Chris Paul, but similar issues to the Nets in terms of depth and like kind of a thin physical profile that struggles under the physicality of the NBA playoffs. So just a slightly better version of the Nets. And then as we go to the Warriors, it's like defending champ and all these different things, but there's just a little bit missing, right? Like Nemanja Bielitsa actually played pretty well in the NBA finals for the Warriors last year. Otto Porter was so important. Gary Payton, obviously he's back now, but Andrew Wiggins had such a, a, an amazing playoff run. So there are these like kind of these big question marks that undercut all three of those teams. And for me, I, I, I just was under the impression that if I was in a situation where I was on the fence, I was going to go with the team that is the defending champion. 
They most recently played the necessary level of basketball to get out of this type of playoff environment. You know, for KD, it's been a couple of years. For a lot of the guys in that roster, it's been a couple of years since they've had that, that level of success. The Lakers haven't done so since October of 2020. And, and you th- even they looked a little shell-shocked by the intensity of that game last night. I, I, uh, I'm, I've been on the fence, and Ty goes to the defending champ. So I'm going to pick the Golden State Warriors to get out of the Western Conference. Where are you at? And don't say Denver. That's... I'm Very interesting. It surprised me. <laughs> I do not have Denver, Jason. I would take the Suns right now. To me, this is clearly the most top-end talent. Like, if we're looking at the top two, sure, the Lakers go toe-to-toe with them, absolutely. But to have CP3 and Aiden allowed to specialize in their roles more, not having the offensive burden of the kind of creation where, at this point, CP doesn't want to take on a high-volume role. Aiden isn't the most developed. Like, this is a team that has two efficient 28-point-per-game scores with incredible versatility, too, which is so important when you're talking about how players translate to that playoff stage, being able to remain unpredictable, to make shots from anywhere on the court, to make shots out of any action. And that is, like, what Book and KD epitomize. KD just flat-out is the best player in the conference to me, the best score alive, having a career defensive and playmaking season, and his teams have been 34-13 and 13 when he plays. But Book is also having a career season in – Basically, all those same categories, defense, playmaking, and scoring. This is the best version of him that we've ever seen. And we know that his scoring can translate to that playoff stage. We saw it two years ago, and he's better now. So you have these guys who can dominate out of pick and roll, where Katie's 98th percentile, Book is 81st percentile, but who also can be lethal catch and shooters, who can come off of screens, who can score from the mid-range. And I just don't see the other offense that has that level of just reliable production at the top and also has reached a pretty high defensive ceiling this season. Like, when we see this top four together for Phoenix, it's only been in eight games. Take it with a grain of salt because the competition hasn't been great either, but they have a plus 17.4 net rating. They've been equivalent to the number one offense, the number one defense. They're 8-0. I just believe this is the most talented team in the conference. I think that they have a level of polish, of consistency, that we haven't seen from the Lakers because... If AD and LeBron, I consistently believe, were going to be the best version of themselves, they'd be my pick because I think that they have the best cast of role players overall. But we just saw uh, LeBron have one of the worst defensive passing overall effort games outside of just, I'm on the ball, I'm going to go get myself a bucket (laughs) that I can remember from him. And AD, although he's had a great year, too often is susceptible to not being that hyper-aggressive dominant score that he has to be to maximize his value. So I don't have those questions with the Suns top two and people look at the depth and see that as a concern. I get it. But if Josh Okogie is making 35% of his threes, he's really good because he's a really good point of attack defender. He's athletic. He attacks closeouts confidently. It's just sometimes he can't shoot the ball for the life of him. And so that's kind of the swing factor, but they have added some size, some capable wing play to that bench. So I feel better about it than I did when they first made the KD trade. Like I think we've seen with the acquisition of a Terrence Ross, Okogie growing into his game. Torrey Craig is fine. It's not going to be a strength, but it's not a strength for the Nuggets, the bench. Like after Bruce Brown, it's a bunch of question marks. Warriors, you could argue maybe with the level DiVincenzo and Kaminga have been playing at, but I think that the reality for them is we haven't seen it consistently this year at all. And there's so much that needs to come together so fast. Like the consistent level of defense that they would need. 
Last year, they were the best defense in the league in the regular season. That was the foundation. This year, it's been Draymond unbelievable. Everybody else, question mark, to say the least. And I think a lot of guys had to play really well on that run. Poole was significantly better than he's been night to night this year. Like, he was efficient. He was highly productive. This year, he's been a roller coaster. Wiggins was great. Wiggins is just going to be playing his first basketball now. Otto Porter Jr., yeah, maybe they can supplement some of that with the DiVincenzo and Kaminga additions, but I just don't feel that this team has consistently shown us the level of basketball that even in a small sample size, Phoenix has, and I believe in that Phoenix talent above all else. So the Nuggets, I don't think they have the defensive ceiling. And if anybody, I mean, maybe the Warriors could exploit the Suns because of Steph's shot making, his you know perimeter dominance, and that's not the strength of this Phoenix defense. That would be on the interior. But I just think two ways, top-end guys, they have the combination and the formula that I believe in the most. You know, again, if they end up being the team in the finals, I will not be surprised. Like I said, I actually view the Suns on the same level as the Warriors and Lakers right now. It's more just benefit of the doubt that I'm giving towards Golden State. Again, I just look at games like last night, and I constantly get reminded of this every year. You know, it amazes me, Carson. Every single year, that immediate transition to playoff basketball, like, and how even though we know it's coming, you're like, whoa, that's so different. Like, it's just so unbelievable. I remember being blown away again last year when I was watching uh, 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 Brooklyn versus Boston. I think it was game two where uh because the, the first game was the crazy Kyrie game where he almost stole it but they ended up losing anyway on that wild spinning layup from Jason Tatum and then game two was just an absolute bloodbath on both ends of the floor right and like and I remember sitting there thinking like as I was watching last night there's just these finesse type of players typically start to struggle a little bit as we get to this phase now to be clear Kevin Durant, for the most part in his career, has thrived in that environment. But a big part of that was for, you know, he's been playing alongside a ton of offensive talent since he went to Golden State and into Brooklyn. And so, and and Phoenix also has that type of offensive talent. So I think he's going to be in good shape there. But with Devin Booker, I mean, we have basically two real playoff runs from him. One where he made all those shots and one where he missed all those shots. And with Kevin Durant in his last two playoff runs, we had one where he made all those shots in 2021 and it was enough or could have been enough. And then he missed all of them last year against Boston. And so I think there's not enough diversity in their attack, in my opinion, from the standpoint of where they like to get their offense for them to be the juggernaut that so many people have claimed for them to be. And I don't think you're claiming that, to be clear. I think you're just looking at a bunch of flawed teams and you're saying Phoenix is the best bet. And and I can see that. But I think this Suns team is beatable. I think they're thin. I think they can be susceptible to physicality. I think, for instance, one of, we're going to talk upsets in a little bit. You know, don't be surprised if Ivica Zubak just just outplays the shit out of DeAndre Ayton. Like, you know, that that's the type of thing that could happen in a series against a team like that. Like, he's their most physically imposing player, and he's kind of got a little bit of a reputation for being inconsistently competitive in these types of environments. So, again, I'm not I'm not trying to say the Suns can't do it. I, I think they're a top-tier Western Conference contender. Wouldn't be surprised at all if they get out. But right now, I, I want to say Golden State. The one thing I will say is it, uh, the Laker defense last night, I don't know if you saw this, Carson. In the final 11 minutes of the game, they allowed two field goals. 
One one was a run out dunk after a bad LeBron James contested late o'clock jump shot, where the Lakers, who have a bad transition defense, basically gave Anthony uh, Anthony Edwards a run out dunk. And then with less than twenty seconds left, when the game was basically over, they lightened up their defense a little bit. Uh, Anthony Edwards made like a little shot in the lane. Other than that, that they completely shut off the water of that Minnesota Timberwolves team. So if I see enough out of LeBron James and Anthony Davis in this series against Memphis to where they unlock a necessary offensive polish and they get enough of their role players going, that was kind of an underrated storyline last night. D'Angelo Russell was awful. Austin Reeves played his yeah. last his worst game in weeks. Troy Brown Jr. was horrendous. Wenyan Gabriel was off the floor in a matter of minutes. Like Troy Brown Jr. was making mistakes right and left. Like uh, or Jared Vanderbilt was uh, unplayable towards the end of the game, and they had to go with Rui Hachimura. They found enough guys to do what they needed to do, but there's yeah. some these finesse types of players just they 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 tend to struggle a little bit in this environment. But like if the Lakers can get it together against Memphis, I actually think they have a higher ceiling than all three of these teams. Uh, but again, with all the with all of the the uh, current available information, I go with Golden State. It's interesting. I do definitely value physical imposition in the playoffs, but I would argue that if there's an exception for me, it's probably Kevin mm-hmm. freaking Durant because mm-hmm. we have seen it a whole lot of times. Let's flip to the East here. Who do you have coming out of there? So again, I came in completely on the fence, and I was I was on Milwaukee pretty strong a few months ago uh, when they were coming on strong. I still think Giannis deserved to win MVP, uh, but it's, it looks like he's. It looks like he might actually. I, I was looking at some of the early returns, and it looks like he might end up finishing second because Jokic basically punted the MVP at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But you know what was funny? What ended up closing the deal for me last night was, uh, or uh, this morning was the game last night again. Just watching the physicality and mm-hmm. being kind of like you know shocked by it again, like I always am, and. You know, I look at that game where Boston went into Milwaukee and they kicked their ass. And I look at, like, how they did it. And it was a lot of, like, early in the game, just Milwaukee was missing shots, which they have a propensity to do from time to time. But, like, Boston was very comfortable and they were just knocking down these pull-up threes in the first quarter. And then as the game progressed, they really unlocked their driving kick game and they were getting wide open shots and they were picking them to pieces, no doubt. But, like, I know Milwaukee in that series – early on, probably game one, is going to come in desperate knowing that they're terrified of what Boston's ceiling is. And they're going to bring a level of physicality that I think is going to rattle them. And and I just think that as that series progresses, Milwaukee's physical advantages will continue to bear through. Drew Holiday just being built like a truck for that environment. Giannis Antetokounmpo, obviously. There's going to be a lot of debate over whether or not teams can play Brooke Lopez off the floor. I don't really think there's a team that can do it this year. So I'm going to, I, I, I was on the fence, but I ended up going with Milwaukee. I just think as the, as the playoffs get more and more physical, that they're going to thrive in that environment. While I think Boston's going to go down a level. We have very similar thinking here. I also have Milwaukee and I've felt pretty confident about this for most of the year, even though Boston has been incredible and, they're better than last year, right? They have so many different potentially exceptional sources of offense just when you look at the depth of their guard play this year and obviously the top wing tandem, but it is the physicality. And when I look at last year's series, how close Milwaukee was without Chris Middleton, first of all, I think that Milwaukee easily could have won that series if they had just shot the ball well. Like, they were 28% from deep. They were 4 of 33 in Game 7, and 
I think that this year they have proven to be a good enough shooting team. They've been fourth and three-point percentage since the All-Star break. They've consistently been a high-volume team. Those are the kind of looks that Giannis creates most frequently to where you can't load up on Giannis as shamelessly as Boston did and have that same result. Like, I just believe in them making those shots, and I do not think that there is another way to stop Giannis. And especially if Middleton is out there, and so now you have another legitimate perimeter shot maker and playmaker alongside Drew who alleviates that pressure, it just feels like we feel Milwaukee and their ability when you're talking about Giannis to get wherever he wants on the court. And then it's just a matter of, are we going to help shamelessly or are we going to, you know, pray that he misses around the rim pretty much. We know that they're going to dominate on the glass because they always do. We know that that defense is going to be stellar and that physical imposition. And the fact that I do believe they'll shoot the ball better. The fact that I like their depth more as much as I do Boston, right. With the additions of an Ingles Crowder, Bobby Portis being better than he's ever been before. I have faith in the team that it feels like can get what they want more readily. And that's because of Giannis versus Tatum. Bottom line, as we've talked about before, Tatum is not Kevin Durant, right? I don't think that Tatum is going to make 50% of his pull-up jump shots. I think he's liable in any game to make 30%. (laughs) And then he completely flips on his head as a player. And so in this series, I definitely do go more to that physicality arena where I think Milwaukee clearly is the advantage. I still think it would be a great series. These are two great two-way teams with awesome stars, awesome depth, but give me Milwaukee. Of course, it's going to be an entertaining series. And again, like we talked about at the beginning of the show, like if Boston wins, I'm not going to be shocked by any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. I just think about like, like look at the end of that game last night. There was, there was this weird play in OT where like Anthony Davis is surrounded by like three guys and LeBron's in the corner and he just kind of like throws a, basically a jump ball. To the uh, like mm-hmm. above, top of the square, and AD just rises up in the group over everybody and grabs it and puts it in the basket. There was like another play. Yeah. Uh, there was another play late in the fourth quarter where LeBron got an offensive rebound put back, where it was like the ugliest play in the history of mankind. And I can't even remember what exactly led it, led into it, but LeBron ended up like in the scrum, just coming out with the basketball and just going up and making an offensive rebound put back. It's like so many of these rock fights just come down to like, yeah. who's the, I, I always joke. I make the pool basketball analogy. Like, you know, when you play pool basketball, there's no dribbling. Like I haven't played since I was younger, but like I would bring a bunch of my buddies over who were all like college basketball players. And we'd play pool basketball. It was just a bloodbath. Cause you're just beating the shit out of yeah. each, other, each other, trying to fight for position around the basket. And like, that's just kind of what playoff basketball reminds me of. And again, in a situation, like that, having Brooke Lopez, having Giannis, having Drew Holiday, you brought up the uh, the the shooting part, and that's such an important detail. Like Javon Carter has gone up a level as a shooter compared to last year. Mm-hmm. Joe Ingles on the floor just gives them another option. It'll depend on perimeter defense. There will be some matchups where he might struggle. Like he's, it'll be interesting to see if he moves his feet well, feet well enough when Boston goes five out. But like he can shoot the laces off the basketball. And then last year, without they didn't have the PJ Tucker piece. And, and look, Jay Crowder is not as good as PJ Tucker in some of those dirty work elements of the game. But he's a reasonable facsimile of that, and he's a better offensive player. And so you put Jay Crowder out there. It's just, and again, that's just another option for them to go to in specific matchup situations. Boston is better than they were last year, but so is Milwaukee. And and, and, and all those things considered, I, I, I just think they're the safest bet. I think they're both significantly better, and that's why I think we're in for like an Eastern Conference Finals for the ages. But just looking at the precedent, I totally agree with you. If we look at recent champions, last year is an exception because they're the Golden State Warriors, right? And Steph Curry is 
an offensive player like we've never seen. We've seen them do it four times now with this pull-up jump shooting formula. But the year before that, Milwaukee, solid shooting roster, not a good shooting postseason. They were 32% from deep, but they were the most physically imposing. They were dominant getting to the rim, and they were great defensively because of their length, size, athleticism, physicality. Lakers the year before that, not a good shooting team, but they were winning in those same categories. Physicality, the imposition from their top guy, the defensive ceiling they could reach. So I do think there's a legitimate precedent that says unless you are exceptional in this, hey, we're going to win with our skill, it makes sense to bet on the teams that have that physical dominance when they also have, you know, great offensive creation like you get from a Giannis or a LeBron Mm -hmm. or whoever's in that range. So we've covered both conferences now. Who do you have winning the title, Jason? So I went with the Bucks. Now, again, I have this lined up uh, with the Warriors, but um, it, I'd feel the same way if they faced Phoenix. I think the Bucks will have the best player in the series. They'll have the best defense in the series. I think one of the biggest swing factors in the series, if the Warriors were to make it, is can they play Brooke Lopez off the floor? But we've seen a pretty consistent theme now where uh, teams are starting to basically just sag way back into the paint on Draymond Green and Kevon Looney, which they've always done. But now what the guards are doing is they're no longer locking and trailing as much. They do when they have to, when they get out of position. And that's why transition is such an important part for Golden State getting out in transition. And uh, their blender, they'll use their sets to try to get guys out of position so that they can get into a lock and trail position. But most of these guards now know it's like, actually, like you can just give up a back cut. Because who cares? You've got rim protection behind you. And so they're able to really, really aggressively overplay some of these off-ball screening actions. And so, again, I I don't know that they'll be able to play Lopez off the floor. Now, if they were, that would be a huge swing factor in the series because suddenly they don't become as imposing physically. But here's the thing. Again, and this is not a Warriors take, but the Bucs have been the better team all season. They've been the best team all season. They have the best player in the league. So, like, if I'm trying to pick... Again, like, and I, and I think the Warriors absolutely have a chance to win the title, just like I think the Lakers do, just like I think the Suns do, just like I think the uh, uh, the Sixers do, just like I think the Celtics and, and, and Bucks do. But if I'm picking what I think is the safest bet, I think right now Milwaukee is the safest bet to win the title. I have felt all year that whoever wins the title is pretty clearly going to come out of the mm-hmm. East, and I've been on the side of Milwaukee or Boston leaning Milwaukee. It's not a tough pick for me. I think that if you're going to compare them to, for example, Phoenix's roster, the town in the top four is comparable. Like Milwaukee is going to bring out the best player in the league, Giannis, maybe the best two-way guard or the best defensive guard who's also an offensive star, Drew Holiday, this dominant interior defender and lethal three-point shooting big, Brooke Lopez, and Chris Middleton, who we saw two years ago, scored 24 a night and was this incredible second creator in a title run. Mm -hmm. And then the five through eight, they are whooping Phoenix's ass. Like <laughs> Milwaukee's depth is so good. And so I'm very comfortable with that. And again, it comes down to also just the reliability of that physical dominance. I think it's going to be whoever comes out of the East unless somebody really impresses me in this playoff run in the West. And I do think it's going to be Milwaukee. Yeah. And again, like we will we're going to be doing shows throughout the postseason and we'll react to new information. If there are teams that look more impressive as the playoffs progress, like, like here's the thing we both picked the bucks, but like if Giannis got hurt in the round one, it's not like we're going to be like, Hey, we're sticking with the bucks. Is that, you know, like we're not like that. We're, <laughs> right. we're making predictions because that's part of our job. But at the end of the day, we're going to react to new information as it comes along. And, and at every single round, we'll kind of circle back to these topics and, and, and try to figure out where we're at. 
Absolutely. And that's part of what's so fun about this postseason potentially is that it does feel like there are so many different teams who could bring it up to a level that we haven't seen consistently. As, as wide open as I've ever seen in my time following the league. Absolutely. So with that in mind, there is definitely potential for a few upsets in this first round here as we look at how this seeding has shaken out. What's your favorite upset pick, Jason, for the first round? So I think the Lakers and Warriors are both going to win their series. And uh, technically, mm-hmm. the Lakers is a small upset in Vegas. I think they're like plus 108 right now or something like that. The Warriors mm-hmm. are actually a significant favorite, so it doesn't count as a, as an upset. Now, I don't believe either of these teams will win, but there are two significant underdogs right now in Vegas. The Clippers are plus 385 to beat the Suns, and the Nets are plus 560 to beat the Sixers. And again, I, I will be picking the Suns, and I will be picking the Sixers, both probably in five games or less. But my favorite upset pick is in the team that's most likely to do so is the Clippers. Now, with the Nets, I you know I try to talk myself into it. I'm like, okay, so they're super athletic and long on the wing. Maybe they, uh, you know, really just just double the hell out of Joel Embiid and solve some of this rotation stuff. And they, and I have no doubt that the Nets will be able to cause some frustrations for uh, for the Philly from an offensive standpoint. But on the other end of the floor, all, all I can think of is like is Mikhail Bridges and Spencer Dinwiddie going to be able to consistently yeah. get stops when you know that Joel Embiid's going to be around the rim all series because they're going to have to play Claxton as much as they as, as much as humanly possible. So like I just don't see that as realistic. With the Clippers, you can kind of start to dry like draw a line to see how it could go. Like maybe Kawhi just outplays KD. Well like that's on the table. I wouldn't predict it. I think KD's a better player, but that's if that happened like you and I'd be like, "Hey, that was cool. Remember when Kawhi outplayed KD?" Like we wouldn't be stunned, you know. Mm-hmm. Um Russell Westbrook and, and Norman Powell could, both could play well. The, the Suns are not a good point of attack defense. That's the one weakness there. I, I think they'll probably end up deploying um, Josh Okoji as much as they can on uh, uh, on Kawhi Leonard uh, just just by the just for the simple fact is he can take that responsibility off from a workload standpoint. Even though he's giving up some size there, um, I think they'll probably throw Tory Craig on him a little a little bit as well. But like you wouldn't be surprised if if Russ and Powell got good matchups and they you know lived in the paint all series mm-hmm. long. Uh, we talked about this earlier in the show, but if Zubac just 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 dominated DeAndre Ayton, wouldn't be surprised. Zubac's just a better player uh, in a, in a lot of the physical areas of the game. He's not as he's not as versatile offensively when it comes to you know uh, the type of shot making that DeAndre Ayton can go to. But he's got a really reliable jump hook. He's excellent at fight. He's definitely a more physical player. Um, you know, Aiton's got a higher defensive ceiling, but he's rarely at that ceiling, you know, so that that's a matchup that could go the Clippers way. And, and then the bench units, we talked about that, you know, the, the Clippers bench unit could have a good amount of success against Phoenix. So, and then there's always the potential that Chris Paul could just have a nightmare series. So it's certainly possible. And I would say that of the long shot underdogs, they are the most likely, um, uh, to get a first round upset. I like it. I find that it's pretty unlikely but <laughs> you can't see the formula and i will say like we have seen the clippers because of their shooting ceiling be able to survive the absence of one of their two stars like we saw it right it was only two games against utah but they beat a utah game that a uh, utah team that was quite good in the regular season 
without Kawhi Leonard because it was, hey, well, that was a specific matchup because they were able to really exploit Gobert going five out. But nevertheless, it was we have our one great offensive creator. We're going to shoot the hell out of the ball. And they had versatile defensive pieces who did their jobs well. I do have a couple issues with this Clippers team. One being that I think they've regressed defensively. They do still have a really nice spacing offensively, but I do have some concerns about the fact that Russ probably needs to be in a relatively high-volume role with PG out, like if they want that upside, because he brings the upside, right? The dynamic athleticism getting to the rim, but there's a lot of downside that comes with that too. And so I like it. I I can see the path. I can't see the path with Brooklyn. I can't see the path with any of these like 8-1 matchups. We don't know exactly what they are, but either way. So if you're going with a more strict definition of an upset, then I like that pick. My first thought here is Lakers-Grizzlies, though, because I don't even consider Warriors-Kings an upset, as you said, because of the odds. And Lakers-Grizzlies, sure, in terms of betting odds, is effectively a toss-up, but it's still a 2-7. And there's a lot of people who are really low on the Lakers after last night, it seems, because it was that kind of rock fight game. But I just have a lot of questions about Memphis in the playoffs, and I think there's a lot to like about L.A. Like, I understand that Memphis is able to produce really high-level regular season offenses, but great playoff offenses tend to have a top-tier offensive engine and probably really good shooting. And Memphis doesn't have either of those. They don't have great pull-up shooting. They don't have great spot-up shooting. And Jaw is not a reliable top-end offensive engine, right? He's liable to have a totally off shooting night. He's liable to be inefficient in that role. You're not talking about LeBron, Steph, etc. And the Lakers really do shrink the court defensively. Like, their length, their athleticism there, I'm telling you, if LeBron just decides in this playoff run, hey, I'm actually going to care, they could easily be the best defense, absolutely a top-tier defense out of this field. And it scares me for Memphis to have the court shrunk when so much of what they're doing is reliant on jaw getting to the rim. And they're going to have to trust their shooters who just really haven't been all that good at it. Like, Triple J could be interesting with that pick-and-pop game force AD to guard on the perimeter more if that's the matchup, but it just doesn't really scare me, this Memphis offense. Whereas LA, I know that LeBron and AD are probably going to turn out a pretty good offense. It's going to be physical. It's going to be slow. It might not be dynamic shooting, but they're going to produce. And I do think that this guard group in uh, conjunction with one another, when you have good Austin Reeves or good Dennis Schroeder. You don't need good deal, right? You probably just need two out of the three. And all those guys are very capable creators, capable defenders, can score and play make in their different ways. And so I just trust the offensive formula more from LA. I think they can reach a higher defensive ceiling without Steven Adams, without Brandon Clark. Memphis doesn't look as good in that. Let's just physically bully you kind of mold. Not that that would be easy against the Lakers anyway. So we've just seen that Memphis offense fall off. We've seen LeBron and AD elevate a playoff offense. And even though these are different iterations, I kind of still fundamentally believe that that's the difference between these two teams. Yeah, it's funny. I, I When the game ended last night, I was kind of like looking at that series as a toss-up. And mm-hmm. then I dug into it because I, I was just wired after that game and after we worked. And I was just like, I was just like, I'm awake. My wife's out of town. She's on a business trip. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to start diving into this series. And, right. and every passing minute that I was looking into it more, I became more and more confident that the Lakers would win. It's really this yeah. simple. The The Grizzlies post-deadline, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, but the Grizzlies post-deadline have gone from being a great defensive team and a great rebounding team to a good defensive team and a bad rebounding team. 
That's just what the loss of Brandon Clark and Steven Adams does to you. I think one of the biggest, uh, you know, adjustments that we'll see over the course of this series is you're going to see, I think, because of the defensive ceiling that the Lakers can get to and the way they can shrink the floor, you're going to see Taylor Jenkins have to make the incredibly difficult decision to downsize. And I think he's going to go down in this series with Tyus Jones on the floor. I think it's going to be John Morant and Tyus Jones with Desmond Bain, Dylan Brooks, and Jaron Jackson. That gives them their best chance to score against that Laker unit. Here's the problem. Four of those dudes are 6'6 or smaller. Yeah. And two of them are tiny guards. So, and, and obviously Tyus Jones is a little bit bigger than Jod from, a, from the standpoint of strength. But, like, they're going to... Uh, the Lakers, I think, are going to be able to play them down into smaller lineups where they can be even more physically imposing. I love the point you made about the guards, and, and this is one of my favorite things. Like when I look at when I look at uh, championship contenders, I always look at these like specific hallmarks they have to hit. Like, do they have the ability to hit the necessary defensive ceiling? Yes, the Lakers do. Do they have the rim protection? Because it's not just about perimeter defense. Rim protection and size around the paint is specifically important. Yes, you know the ability to rebound. Uh, diversity of shot creation. So for instance, like having a big rim pressuring forward and a pull-up shooting guard that can play in high pick and roll, like being able to score different ways offensively. But one of the big things that I look at is diversity of play style and the ability to make adjustments, the ability to have options. And that's what I love about this Lakers roster is like you can, they're going to be serious if they play in multiple series. There are going to be series where it's like, oh man, like Vanderbilt, LeBron AD is the way to go. And, mm-hmm. and you know, that front line just with length and athleticism is going to kill everybody. But then there's going to be a series where it's like, okay, the wing player that they have to guard is not necessarily a quick guy. He's more of a strong guy. And now we can bring in Rui Hachimura because he's bigger and stronger and he can hang more in those physical altercations. And he's actually having his best defensive season of his career. And he's so much more offensively skilled than Jared Vanderbilt, which gives mm-hmm. you this offensive influx. Even just last night, the ability to deploy Dennis Schroeder when D'Lo is just completely checked out of the game mentally. You throw in Dennis Schroeder, and he's actually like a really good and impactful player. In this series, I think this series is going to be a big Dennis Schroeder series because of what he's going to do on ball against John Morant. You know, they have those options. there. Like, Austin Reeves had a rough night last night. If D'Lo had it going and Austin didn't, there's a version of that game where it's Dennis Schroeder and D'Angelo Russell that are on the floor. And they have gone to that group at times uh, over the course of this end of the season. So this Lakers, the Laker group checks a lot of boxes. Honestly, the only reason why I haven't picked them is question marks surrounding LeBron James because you just you just absolutely mm-hmm. – AD's inability to handle double teams has just made him have a certain ceiling when it comes to the offensive end of the floor in the playoffs. And so yeah. like LeBron, at the end of the day, has to be their best player if they're going to win the title. And right now he's not. AD's their best player. And so that's where my question marks are. But I don't think they need LeBron to be their best player to beat Memphis. I think they're going to be – any any move to try to counter uh, the uh, d- the physical advantages of the Lakers, like, for instance, going with Xavier Tillman or a guy like David Roddy, d- doing anything to increase their physical profile will immediately make them much easier to guard, which will put them in a predicament yeah. where they could run into some real problems against a, a really locked-in Laker defense. Completely agree with you. And uh, I also love the versatility that we see with this Lakers team. And it really does matter because, sure, you can look at the 
whoever the third best guy on this team might be on any given night. And it's not going to wow you, but it's the ability to mix and match, to play different combinations for different strengths, to unlock that athletic ceiling, defensive ceiling, at times that shot-making ceiling. Nobody else has the amount of combinations. I don't, I, I don't think that the Lakers do. And I mentioned this Grizzlies offense regressing in that playoff setting. Last year, they were the number four regular season offense. And then in the playoffs, they were the number 10 playoff offense out of 16 teams. It's just tough when you don't have that consistent, super reliable shot making, or as we've talked about, a Giannis, LeBron, like just get to the rim at will no matter what manufacture offense at that high level. Okay, so we've talked about our favorites. We've talked about upset candidates here. Out of all of the legitimate contenders you see in this playoff field, Jason, who is most likely to just blow up their roster after this year. <laughs> so I'm excited to get into this because I was looking at it this morning and there's a lot of candidates that and I, I blow blow up is aggressive and um, we'll get to that because I have a pick there. But like, mm-hmm. there's a lot of teams that I think are going to have to look at serious changes if they don't rise to the top of this pile. So the, first of all, the clear knows like Boston, Boston staying as is regardless of what happens. They just have too much talent and their stars are young. So you can expect them to continue to get better. Um, right. I don't think the Lakers, because of how good they have been post deadline, even if they were to lose to Memphis, they're going to attribute that to LeBron being at less than a hundred percent and, uh, short, uh, uh, just kind of like they, they're going to look at it like, hey, let's get another training camp under our belt, right? Uh, but the one mm-hmm. the one thing that would make the Lakers a candidate is if Anthony Davis got hurt again because then that thing that I keep talking about where like if the dude just can't finish a playoff run, that's obviously an issue. The Nuggets, no. Right. I think the Nuggets are running it back no matter what. I think even they can look at this like, dude, Jamal Murray was still kind of coming back. Like we can hit another level here. The Suns, I think, are going to run it back no matter what happens. Everybody else though, like the Sixers, like, they lose. You're probably going to see at least Doc Rivers get fired, and then maybe some changes yeah. involving James Harden. Um, if the uh, if the Clippers lose, I think you could end up seeing some changes. We'll get back to them in just a second. The Warriors, the Warriors lose. I would not be surprised if you saw a significant uh, piece from the core removed. I don't think they'd go full rebuild, but I think they could. You, I wouldn't be surprised if you saw one of like Clay Thompson or Draymond Green or Jordan Poole end up changing teams after the season. Um, the Milwaukee Bucks, even I think if they came up short, I think they'd start to look at Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday as not good enough or reliable enough to be a legitimate number two, and then start to make some changes. The one team that I could see going full rebuild if it goes south is the LA Clippers. Similar logic to what I had been using. With the Anthony Davis thing, like, you don't, like, I still have people in my mentions every day, like, oh, you want to trade AD? No, I don't. But I, I think AD, like, like there was a moment last night in the first half when he almost had that tip dunk, when he was just dominating the game on both ends of the floor athletically, where I was like, is yeah. anybody better than this guy? <laughs> like, like literally, you know? Yeah. And, but, but like, if he, if he got hurt again, that'd be three years in a row. And like, how can you expect to build a team and plan for the NBA playoffs if you can't stay healthy? And like, I kind of look at that from the Clippers perspective, like they, the first year they lose disappoint in disappointing fashion in the bubble, which is really where you could start to look at from a team building standpoint, having redundancy of pull up, jump shooting, a lack of rim protection, all the, all those sorts of things, which is a separate topic. But like after that, it's like, it's, it's been a pretty steady diet of like Kawhi couldn't make it through the first playoff run. Then Kawhi misses an entire season. Now Paul George potentially yeah. is going to miss a playoff run. Like at what point do you look at this and go, 
what are we doing here? Not to mention a lot of their key role players are starting to age out, you know, like Marcus Morris is mm-hmm. like, who knows if, if you're, if we're going to see Marcus Morris play at all in this first round series or be impactful at all. Robert Covington has fully fell, uh, fallen out of the rotation. Nick Batum, like has been mostly good for the Clippers, but he's getting older and older. Like at what point do you look at this and go, we are beyond saving. And, mm-hmm. and get as much as you possibly can for Paul George and as much as you possibly can for Kawhi Leonard and start over at that point, especially when you don't have any draft compensation and your one way to do that is to flip those stars. So I, I think if the Clippers lose embarrassingly in the first round, that they would be the team most mm-hmm. likely to blow up this summer. The Clippers are so tough to evaluate because when you think about the actual basketball product that we've seen them put out there, at full strength, it's consistently been pretty darn good. Like, obviously, you mentioned that initial playoff disappointment, but I thought they were going to win the West in 2021. I thought that that was the best version that we've seen of them. That was amazing PG. That was amazing Kawhi. Their role guys were better than they are today, but you're right. Like, they've been together four years, and they've had one actual season where they were healthy when it mattered, and it was their first. And so it is definitely tough to rely on that as your core is aging, as your supporting cast, although they're trying to supplement it uh, in different ways, is for the most part regressing. I think that makes a lot of sense. However, I still think that Philly is the prime candidate just because we have heard throughout this year, even as the Sixers have been thriving, that James Harden wants to just go back to Houston. And I do agree with you. Doc is always kind of always a candidate on the chopping block. And I think especially if this is another underachieving team, I don't know. We might not see Doc coach in the NBA again. Like how many times can you have these rosters that are supposed to be? Oh, he'll be on a team. Players love that that dude so much. (laughs) I guess. Yeah. That'll be an interesting dynamic to track. But to me, the Harden thing and the fact that my expectation for the Sixers is that they lose in the second round. And I get that that like feels disappointing with their talent level, but there's two teams out East who I think are better. But I don't know that a second round loss is going to make James Harden say, you know what, actually, this is where I really do want to be when maybe he just wants to have fun and, you know, be the favorite in the city, which he's never going to be in Philly. So I think those are the two. I think everybody else you're looking at just a retool. Denver could be interesting because I do think they might have to start asking ourselves if, okay, we've definitely done a really good job of building out this cast of role players with like the additions of KCP and Bruce Brown. Those were massive, but is our ceiling with Jamal Murray as our second option high enough? Do we need to, you know, try to find another high level two way wing to replace an MPJ? I could see questions like that uh, coming up eventually, but I don't know that it's just yet when, yeah, this is like the first really good roster they've had since that bubble year. And this roster is clearly better than that one. So I think it's Clippers and Philly for sure. You know, it's funny. I was, I can't remember exactly which player I was thinking about last night. Um, but I was literally thinking to myself, like if the nuggets lost and their defense ended up being the issue again, I wonder if you, I wonder if Nikola Jokic is the type of player you could get away with playing alongside an additional rim protector. Um, and, and, and I'm not, I, I want to think about it more because it was just kind of a passing mm-hmm. idea, but like, look at how Aaron Gordon has fit on that team, basically in the dunker spot and guarding a, opposing yeah. forwards. Like, and I'll, I'll just throw out a name that's not really achievable, but just an example, like, um, 
could a guy like Onyeka Kongwu or mm. even like a Nick Claxton type, a guy, just like a guy that mm-hmm. has the ability to switch out onto the perimeter, but also guard the rim. Who cares about their defensive limitations as long as they can catch and finish dunks? Would that be something that yeah. that could help? Because I don't think offense is the issue. I think it's just having legitimate rim protection so that you give your perimeter defenders a fighting chance. But yeah, I think I think they're an ex- another example of a retool. The only reason I didn't pick the Sixers is because I still kind of consider that a retool. You know, like if you if you mm. keep Joel Embiid and you keep Tyrese Maxey and you, and and you keep a bunch of these important players, but you basically flip Tob- Tobias Harris and and James Harden. Uh, in an attempt to bring some additional talent in, like I, I, I don't necessarily think that, that that's that's why I ended up going with the Clippers. But I, I would argue that the Sixers are definitely the most likely to retool because I mean you're right, I, they're gonna lose to Boston in my opinion. I mean they have a chance to win that series, but they're gonna win. They're mm-hmm. mo- like they'll be they'll be a significant underdog in that series. They'll probably be at least plus two hundred, if not a little bit worse. And if they lose that series, like they are going to make some type of significant change. It's just a question of what. So I, I do agree with you there. Um, Carson, thank you so much for taking time today to come in and, and talk through some of this stuff. I, I uh, am looking forward to doing it more frequently as we get through the playoffs. That's all we have for today, guys. I sincerely appreciate you guys supporting the show. Don't forget to check out our other series previews. Um, we've got at least three more coming this week uh, over the next few days. As always, I appreciate you guys. And I will see you tomorrow. The volume. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.